0: Good evening, and welcome to our online evening service. We're really glad that you're able to join us as we worship our Lord God together. Our evening services are going to be online uh, throughout this latest lockdown, but the content will be exactly the same uh, as if we were all together. So we're going to be singing, uh, praying, reading God's word, and hearing it preached. However, there is one difference uh, this time round. That is, after the evening services each week, uh, we're going to have our church coffee time. And that begins this evening uh, at ten past seven after the service. So there's time uh, to get a coffee uh, or whatever you want to have to drink before we meet together. Uh, You can join us for that. A link was sent out on Wednesday. Uh, If you didn't get that, uh, do let me know uh, and I can send that out to you. Well, last week... Uh, Our meeting was in person. Uh, This week, we're meeting online. Uh, It's an ever-changing situation that we are in. But times may change, but our God is always the same. And His truth never changes. And our first song points us to the truth that Jesus is the name of all majesty. we're going to have a Bible reading now from Psalm 110. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can follow along with the reading. Uh, This psalm is a song about the Messiah whom the writer David was looking forward to coming because this Messiah would defeat the enemies of God's people. And we know that Jesus is the Messiah. He's defeated sin and death and all those who reject him and oppress his people. So we're going to read this uh, psalm together, which uh, as we we read it, we're going to see in Matthew's gospel uh, how Jesus refers to it as well. So let's read uh, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like Jew from the morning, morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is God's word. Well, please keep your Bibles open uh, and as we pray together. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the confidence we can have that the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns over all things at your right hand. Even, we read in this psalm, in the midst of his enemies, even when Jesus was going to the cross, he was in complete control, doing what was needed in order to save his people from their sins. And even today, in the midst of so many problems, Jesus is King and he reigns supreme. And so, Heavenly Father, give us confidence in the work of Jesus Christ. May your Spirit open our eyes to it and bring to our minds and hearts the truth that you love us and are working all things for our good. We pray that especially this week, Uh, for your people who are going through uh, times of difficulty. We do lift up to you, Mourna and Andrew and Bryony and Jessica and Lizzie and Emma. We do pray that as Mourna goes for her operation this week, that you would enable them to know that you are their king who helps them, who provides for them. We pray for the success of the operation And we pray that their trust in and love of you would grow through this time. We also pray for the Gordon family, with Lindsay's mother uh, living what is her final days. And we plead with you that you would have mercy on her and bring salvation to her. We pray that you would bring comfort to Lindsay and Darren and Daniel and Joe and Noah and Edie. During these difficult days, show them that you are their God and provide them with the strength they need day by day. But there are many others also with health difficulties, financial problems, depression, worries about their children not being at school. And we take the time now to lift all of these anxieties to you asking you to give us wisdom in dealing with them and helping us to trust in you to help us day by day. We pray this in the knowledge that all things are under your sovereign control, under your feet. May the confidence of your people in King Jesus be a witness to our nation at this time. Deliver us from the fear of death, so that we can point people to the conqueror of death. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, and this evening we're in verses 41 to 46. It'd be helpful if you uh, have a Bible to open that there so you can follow along with what I'm saying, but if you haven't got one, that's fine, Uh, just listen along. Uh, But if you don't own a Bible, uh, then do let me know uh, because we'd love uh, to provide you with one. Well, many of us know what it is like to not really recognize somebody that we ought to. Uh, When I first moved to Pelsall, uh, I was really thankful for uh, this prayer diary. Uh, In our church, we have uh, a prayer diary that has names and photographs of the members and regular attenders of our church. And I do use it for praying, and I did at the time when I moved here. But when I moved here, I also used it to recognize people. Because everybody knew who I was, because I stood at the front of church every Sunday. But after the service, people would come and speak to me. And oftentimes, I would be wondering uh, who this person is. What is their name? I might recognize their face but forget what they are called. And so each week, uh, we were, me and Paula would, would go home, and we'd go through the prayer diary and put names to the faces of those people whom we'd uh, forgotten the name of. There were a few embarrassing moments when I knew that I really ought to have known the name of somebody, uh, but it had lost, uh, been lost from my mind. Well, the consequences of, of not recognizing someone at church uh, might be a bit embarrassing, But in our passage today, we see that the consequences of of getting the identity of Jesus wrong isn't just mildly embarrassing, but his identity is a matter of life and death. At the beginning of uh, chapter 21, Jesus was making statements about his identity that made it rather clear. The actions he took Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and being acclaimed as the son of David by the crowds and turning over the tables of the temp- in the temple of the money changers and dove sellers were statements to show that he is God's king, God's Messiah that has been sent to save his people from their sins. But over the last number of weeks in Matthew's Gospel, we've been looking at how the religious leaders challenged that claim that Jesus was making. They give him a series of debates where they have been trying to trap him in his words. And after these debates, Jesus asks a question of them, which is what we see today in our passage he asks them a question that reveals clearly the identity of the Messiah. So let's read Matthew chapter 22 and verses 41 to 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is God's word. Well, notice, uh, first of all, in verse 41, that the Pharisees were gathered together in a group following their recent verbal assault on Jesus. Uh, The Pharisees Uh, in verse uh, 34, were the group that got together for the final debate that they had with Jesus. And it was while they were still gathered together that Jesus asks the most important question. We see that there in uh, verse 42. What do you think about the Messiah? Well, the word Messiah or Christ means anointed king it's not the the surname of jesus it's the title of jesus jesus the messiah the anointed king but this isn't just any king the messiah was the king that was promised by god that would come to save his people at the beginning of the old testament we read that the world was made very good but was ruined by sin when Adam and Eve ate from the tree after the serpent had tempted them. In the garden, in the midst of pronouncing judgment for sin, God promised a a, a person that would come and crush the serpent. The meaning being one who would restore humanity and the rest of creation. And the rest of the Old Testament can be looked at in one sense as a search for this serpent-crushing king, this Messiah. And as the Old Testament progresses, more and more is revealed about this Messiah. So we, we see that he will come through one particular family, the family of Abraham. We see that he will be a king That comes from the line of King David and rule on King David's throne forever. We see that the prophets speak of him being a king who will suffer for his people. But over and over again, we see the descendants of Abraham and David fail to be this Messiah, this saviour, because of their sin. They can't save the world from sin because they are part of the problem of sin in the world. And if we're not saved from our sin, then we face the righteous judgment of God. We all need a Messiah to save us from that. And so this question, what do you think of the Messiah?, is the most important question that any of us could be asked. And as we go through this uh, passage this evening, that's the question that I want you to consider. What do you think about the Messiah? Well, before looking any further, it's worth pausing to consider the fact that although uh, people may not admit this, Everyone is looking for a Messiah of sorts. Everyone is looking for something or someone that will bring an end to their troubles. Someone or something that will make the world right. Often these Messiahs are about particular issues. So for example, if we can fix the climate, then the world will be good again. Sometimes people think that finding the right partner would make their world complete. Or having enough money, or uh, so on and so forth. Some people turn to drugs or to alcohol to to fill that void in their lives. Those are messiahs in their eyes. Uh, Today, in 2021, uh, many people think that once we've got a vaccine then everyone's going to learn from the experience of what we've been going through and and be nice to one another, and the world will be good again. Some people think that they can save themselves by their efforts. Some people are atheists, but even they are looking for something to give them meaning and identity and to fix the problems of their own world or the world around them. But all of these messiahs, just like the descendants of Abraham and David in the Old Testament, ultimately fail us because they do not make an end of the problems of sin and death in our lives and in our world. And if sin and if death remain, so too then do all the problems that we face If you read the beginning of the Old Testament where uh, the world was created and then the world fell into sin, the very problems that the world faced at the beginning of time after the fall are exactly the same problems that humanity and the world around us face today. They've not changed. We need a Messiah to save us from our sins. And Matthew's Gospel Is written to us to show us that Jesus is this promised Messiah. And that's what he goes on to show us in these few verses. God has promised that this Messiah would be a specific person, a specific son. This was basic Old Testament truth. These Jewish uh, Pharisees, like all the Jewish people of the time, all knew this to be true. And so to point this out, Jesus asks at the end of verse 42, Whose son is he? Who is this Messiah? What do you think? Whose son is he? And the religious leaders answer, The son of David. And they are not wrong here. What we see is part of the answer. Jesus is the Davidic king. Now, a son of David does not have to mean one of his immediate children. It can and does refer to a descendant of David. The fact that the Messiah was to be a son of David was not really controversial at all. It was clear in the Old Testament scriptures. And so, uh, to name but a few, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, God says this to David. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Psalm 80, verse 3 and 4. Speaking to God, you, God, said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. And in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And I could show you more. The expectation from these verses was that there would be a human king from David's line who would establish David's throne, a good ruler over God's people who would reign forever. Now, it is true that for many Jewish people of the time, Their expectation was that this king would come and defeat the occupying Roman forces of their land. He would be a military king who would have military victories. Now, whilst that particular view was not true, they certainly were right right to say that the Messiah would be a human king from David's line. Now, we know that Jesus was a human being descended from the line of Abraham and David. In fact, the very first verses of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, say, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, in showing us Jesus is God's Messiah, Matthew begins by showing us that he is from the line of David and Abraham. Now, whilst the Pharisee's answer was true, it was not complete. It was part of the answer. In verses 43 to 45, Jesus provides the rest of the answer. Jesus is the divine king. Here Jesus shows us the inadequacy of a merely human king, even one from David's line. And he shows us this from the scriptures, specifically Psalm 110, which we read earlier. Psalm 110 was a psalm written by King David. And was, it was inspired by God himself. Notice in verse 43... Jesus specifically points out that David was speaking by the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit who is God. So Jesus begins by pointing out that the point he is about to make is the very word of God that was spoken of by David as David was inspired by the Spirit. Now this particular psalm was a messianic psalm explaining how the coming Messiah would have victory for God's people over their enemies. And in the psalm, David calls the Messiah Lord. So Jesus quotes verse 1 of Psalm 110 in verse 44 to point this out. He says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, in our English translations of the psalm, uh, this can be quite confusing. We have the word Lord two times. But to help us, in the psalm, the first Lord is capitalized and the second is not. And that's because in the Hebrew, there are two different words for Lord. In the psalm, the first Lord is, the capitalized one in English, is the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. And the second Lord in the psalm is a more general use of the word Lord, which we could translate in English as Master. And this Lord, this Master, was at the right hand of the Yahweh of Israel. And the right hand was the position of authority. The position on the of the right hand had equal authority to the person they were next to. So God himself, the Lord of Israel, the creator of the universe, the covenant God of his people, has designated a position of rank for the Messiah that brings him to his own right hand, putting him in co-equal place of power and authority with himself. So the Lord, God of Israel, says to David's Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. You share in my power and my authority. And this power and this authority is used to put all of his enemies under his feet. This is a way of saying all his enemies will be defeated. Uh, under the feet is a way of describing that. So, uh, one example is in the book of Joshua, in chapter 10 and verse 24, uh, Joshua and his armies have just defeated some kings. And we read, When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here. And put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. And that putting the feet on the neck is a a sign of subjugation, a sign of, of victory for the one whose foot is on the neck. And as I said, this psalm is about a Messiah who is co equal with God in his authority, who has subjugated his enemies. Now, the religious leaders would have agreed with what Jesus had said so far in the psalm. But Jesus asks two questions on either side of verse 44 that points to his true identity. In verse 43, Jesus asks, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Now, in Jewish culture... The son is always inferior to the position of the father. In fact, that is is true today in a sense, isn't it? Uh, How many of you fathers uh, call your children Lord? Well, I've got three children and I can assure you that I don't call any one of them Lord or Master or any other kind of elevated title. And I'm sure that uh, nobody listening here today uh, does that either. In fact, I know that we ne- wouldn't necessarily call our fathers Lord either. Uh, but in some cultures, fathers are called Sir, but it's never the other way round, is it? The father has the position of authority. And this is even more true in David's case where it is generally acknowledged that he is their greatest king. It's no coincidence that uh, the star of David is what is on Israel's flag even today. How is it then that the greatest of Israel's kings calls the Messiah his Lord? So the Messiah is greater than David. But more than that, David calls the Messiah, my Lord, alongside the Lord. Now this sounds confusing in English, but the point is that David is giving equal authority to both. He's putting them side by side. David, inspired by God himself, is saying that the Messiah is greater than he is and has equal authority and power to the Lord God of Israel. Israel were called to have no other gods beside the Lord. And yet here, as David speaks by the Holy Spirit, the Lord is placed alongside another Lord. What's going on? The question in verse 44 builds on this. Verse 45, rather. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? How can someone with co-authority with God at his right hand be also David's son? Well, the only answer can be that this Davidic king is also a divine king. This son of David is also the son of God. Think about this another way. David had lots of descendants. Uh, You can read all about these uh, people in in the books of Kings and Chronicles. They all failed. They all died. None of them could be the Messiah that is promised in the psalm. How was one son of David to be distinguished out of all of the other sons of David? Jesus tells us here the distinguishing mark is divinity. The distinguishing mark is the fact that the son of David, who's the Messiah, is the one who is alongside the Lord. To save us from our sins and make the world right again, the Messiah has to be both human and divine. A mere human cannot save us. Because all humans are born with a sin nature that causes them to be part of the problem in the world rather than the solution. Sin is inherent to all humanity. Now, this is so obviously true, isn't it? Because you you don't, as a parent, have to teach your children how to do wrong. They figure out sin all on their own. And that's because it's inherent in them. It's natural for them to do wrong. But a non-human could not save us because they could not represent humanity before God. They couldn't pay the penalty for sin that humanity owes God for their rebellion against him. The Messiah must be human and divine. One who can both represent us before God and be sinless before God so that they can pay for our sins. And Jesus is this Messiah. He lived as a man without sin. He showed himself to be God in the miracles that he did. He is totally God and totally man. And the only one who can save us and restore humanity and the creation. And he has done this by dying in our place for our sins and rising from the dead, conquering both sin and death on our behalf. The Pharisees, though, they knew the answer to Jesus' question. But rather than answer, we see from them the most inappropriate response. So we've seen the most important question, but in the end we see the most inappropriate response. We see in verse 46 that no one could say a word in reply. Perhaps they couldn't even conceive of what Jesus was talking about here, a divine king who's also a human. Certainly if they had conceived of it, they would not have answered Jesus because they hated him. They could never bring themselves to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. Their silence was totally inappropriate an inappropriate response to what Jesus was so clearly saying about himself. There is only one response that is right. Paul tells us in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Uh, Those who believe that Jesus is Lord respond by professing it. But it's not just with words. They also respond with lives that are dedicated to him. In fact, Jesus has already given us the right response to him in just the previous passage that we looked at last week. If Jesus is Lord then we respond as he tells us to respond in verse 37 of chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In fact, we could quite as uh, rightly say, love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And as we live this way, we can do so with confidence that we're doing so for a Messiah who is who he says he is. Jesus is the Messiah. But when quoting this psalm, as Jesus does, Psalm 110, verse 1, we also realize that we can have confidence as we live for Him in what He will do in the future. Because the New Testament tells us that Jesus died and rose, but then ascended to heaven. So, where is He now? Well, among many verses that teach us where Jesus is, I'll show you just one. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and here's the key, and is where? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We can have confidence that it is absolutely worth giving our lives to loving Jesus because he is the king of Psalm 110 verse 1. He sits at God's right hand. And that tells us that he is ruling and he is reigning right now. And he will do so until all his enemies are placed under his feet. And that's so important for us to realize in our day, isn't it? In the circumstances that we all find ourselves in, Jesus is ruling over it all. Brothers and sisters, have confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ that he is in control of everything, over all things, and he's working out all things for the good of his people. He doesn't go to the cross and then just abandon us. Rather, he goes to the cross and he rises from the dead and he goes to heaven, not to sit and do nothing, but to sit and rule on our behalf as his people until the day when he comes again and all his enemies are under his feet and we will reign with him forever and ever. We've recently just had uh, Christmas, Uh, and in fact, as I was uh, preparing this passage, it it was the Christmas season, and a a carol came to my mind. The Christmas carols, by the way, that are not just for December. There's no rule uh, that that is uh, the case where we can only say the the words in December. Uh, The words of our carols are true uh, all the time, in all ages. But what we've been saying is summed up really well. Uh, in the final lines of the carol, Once in Royal David's City, uh, where we read, Not in that poor lowly stable, with the oxen standing by, we shall see him, but in heaven, sat at God's right hand on high, when like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. Now, right now, we are waiting for that final day, when he returns. And until then, we give ourselves to living for and loving the Messiah, the only one who can save us from our sins. Do you see who he is? What do you think about the Messiah? I hope you do see who he is. I hope you do see that no one else or nothing else will save you from your sins. I hope that you recognize that in following Christ, we're following the true Messiah. A king who will rule forever. If you want to find out more about Jesus, please get in touch with us. We would love to talk to you more about our wonderful King Jesus. Uh, Just email us and we we would be happy to to tell you more. But for now, uh, we're going to worship our King with our final song, which helps us to respond to these words that we have heard, where we speak of Jesus as the glorious Christ. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.